you know, my entire career has been public service. I will more than likely jump back to it. I just love it, man. I just love giving back to communities. And um, I view my work really as an artist. Mm. And I'm I'm drawing a picture through my work with economic development or um, community development, workforce development to really enhance communities. So... What up, though, Black Friday family? Welcome back to another installment of the Black Fridays podcast. And as you already know, already joined by another dynamic guest. And this person, I think, has the record for the very first person who joined the podcast in person from the IG Live days, none other than the brother Colin Mays. How you doing today, man? Mr. Turner, it's a pleasure, brother. Thanks Good for having to see me on. You. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm glad to have you back. And a little bit of backstory for everybody watching. Me and Colin actually met through Instagram and through the Black Friday series. And ever since then, that was I had thought about it. It's been almost four years. Yeah. Almost four years yeah. at, at this point. I want to say like in the spring, it might be uh, four years. And he's been a, a good friend ever since. So uh, good to have you here in person. And would love for you to be able to explain to everyone what brings you to the podcast today and then also what you got going on. Well, hey, man, I had to stop in and and say hello, uh, uh, pay homage to you and all the great work that you're doing, man. Loved all that you did with uh, Black Fridays on Instagram. Glad to see that you're here in, in studio and you're continuing to build. And, and that's what I love and that's what I support. Um, you know, here to talk about a variety of different things from uh, uh, Black Men's Health Symposium I'm working on to my business, which I've, I've started, to solo philanthropy, to uh, LeBron's, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Glad cool. to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so let's take it from the uh, standpoint of the work that you do as far as uh, LMS solutions and your consultancy. And I want to learn more about what it is that you do with that and then the services that you offer and the types of folks that you work with. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Um, so, you know, LMS Solutions is something, uh, a company I just founded back in August. And um, the goal of the company is to really focus in on addressing uh, challenges that nonprofits have, specifically black-led nonprofits uh, when it comes to fund development. You know, everybody's, of course, scrambling for money uh, when it comes to strategic planning, marketing, and branding. Um, I actually did a survey a while back, and I found that those are kind of the three areas that uh, all nonprofits, but, but specifically black-led nonprofits, struggle with. So LMS Solutions is kind of meant to be that middle person. Um, so myself able to come in and, you know, if I have connections with with banks or people I've worked with before in the past, I can, you know, pitch a proposal or help the nonprofit with a proposal and um, helping them with the overall kind of strategic plan of their nonprofit for the next, let's say, you know, three to 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, the biggest challenge with nonprofits across the board is how do we sustain them beyond just the two to three year mark? It, it's tough. Um, and it requires somebody that uh, can come in and serve as a consultant and uh, really be able to kind of help put that organization on the on the map for uh, for success and, and that's what I do nice very nice and that work is definitely important being someone who myself has had a nonprofit for years and uh, you don't know what you don't know essentially and so being able to have somebody to be a liaison or a guide in that respect is is definitely important so we'll get more into that a little bit later, but I want to reintroduce you to my favorite part of Black Fridays, which is Freestyle Fridays. So it's a random assortment of questions. They're all about you. You just got to answer honestly and answer each one. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So you're a basketball fan, right? Yes, sir. All right. So 
I've been wondering this about I've been wondering this myself for the last week or so, but I want you to tell me and you can only talk about players that you've seen play. So you can't talk about any any legends that played in the 50s, 60s, anything like that. But if Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant never played in the NBA, who would you say is the greatest basketball player of all time of players that you have seen and grown up watching play? Man, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, it might be a tie. I don't know. I can't. I can't say a tie, right? But um, man, Allen Iverson was was fantastic. I mean, I remember watching AI back in two thousand, two thousand one. I remember having the questions. Uh, you know, he was rocking Reebok. Like mm -hmm. I, I remember that. Um, Tim Duncan was a favorite of mine. I mean, you know, maybe boring on the court, but man, just fundamentals. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, was able to get the job done. Um, Man, it was so many great players. Vince Carter, I was a big fan of. T-Mac, I was a big fan of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I definitely would have to say amongst all of those, I'd probably say Allen Iverson. I mean, I think just his um, his style of play, even though he never won a championship, which is a shame, but uh, his style of play, the way that he was able to, to lead the Philadelphia 76ers to the finals, um, I just remember being pumped up and being really excited to be an Allen Iverson fan. Yeah, I, I might have to agree with you on that because AI was definitely – you think about people who are game changers, and that's what we think when we think of Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, people like that. And I think AI was probably the next closest as far as game changer and the way people play the game, the style, swag that they had. So I think AI, and then if we take the injuries away – what or before he started getting injured on a more consistent basis, probably T Mac. Like, yeah, yeah, you can't really you can't really discredit what what he did. T Mac was uh man, he was one of a kind. And, mm -hmm. uh, and like you said, with those with the injuries, it impacted him. But I mean, look at his time with Orlando. Like that's how I actually remember the magic. It wasn't from Shaq. It was right. from it was from T Mac. Right. Um, you know, getting them like even if they were the eighth seed, still having to like winning three games in the first round of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I mean. And that was all him carrying the, you know, carrying uh, the team. No exactly. disrespect to any other player. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now you're a very, uh, you're a big LeBron fan, collector of LeBron shoes. What would you say is your favorite shoe of LeBron? Man, that's a tough one, and I'm glad you threw that out there because I was getting ready to say, you know, no, let's not let's not uh, misconstrue AI for <laughs> LeBron. No, let's not do that. But uh, I am a huge LeBron fan. He's the goat. No doubt about it. Anybody that questions it is just crazy. So don't even listen to the nonsense. Um, <laughs> I would say my favorite model of LeBron's shoes has to be the nine. Um, I'm a fan of the sevens. I'm a fan of the eights, but mm -hmm. the nine, for some reason, it just it really stuck out at me. Uh, um, you know, I wish that they retro more nines. I wish Nike retro more line, more nines. So if Nike's listening, you need to get back <laughs> out there. Um, but man, I love the watch the throw nines. Um, <clears throat> fire. You know, yeah, those are fire, man. Uh, South Coast nines were fire. I remember. Um, uh, back in the day, the Christmases, mm -hmm. um, remember the Hornets. I mean, they had a lot of great nines. But you could also make the same argument for the sevens and the eights, too. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad that the twos have been retro. Mm -hmm. um, I wish we could get a little bit more twos. They're on the fours right now, which I'm, you know, I'm adding to my collection. I think the only retro LeBron that I just don't like whatsoever has to be the five. I just mm -hmm. think that the five was just like... <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but uh, every other line, man, was fantastic. Okay, that's how I feel about Jordans after fourteen. After once you get to fifteen, you start getting in uncharted territory. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm with you there. Uh, super random question: What would you say is the most random job that you ever had? The most random job I ever had. Um, well, I'll tell you, my first job I had was working at a library, uh, West Bloomfield Library. I was in high school. 
And I worked that job, and I worked another job too at a sports store because I was, you know, a big sports fan and um, was crazy about LeBron back then. Like when LeBron came into the league, I was 13 years old. We were, you know, 13 years mm -hmm. old. So for me, I didn't really get a chance to see much Jordan. You know, I know that we've got the nostalgia with yeah. with MJ, but it was really LeBron. And um, to see his kind of longevity throughout the years has been incredible. But yeah, I would say library. Uh, but I love to read books. Yeah. And um, and speaking of that, if you don't mind. Um, oh yeah, go ahead. You know, I just left. Shameless plug. I just left <laughs> Source uh, Source Booksellers, which is in Midtown, Detroit, yeah. uh, owned by Janet Webster. Jones, um, encourage everybody to go there. Janet has been in business since 1989, and um, she's done a fantastic job. So I just picked up this book here uh, by Walter Mosley, who's one of my favorite authors. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, so I'm I'm a reader, man, and uh, you know, working at the library was certainly a good experience for me. So fire, yeah, fire. What's the last album that you say you listened to all the way through? Ooh. Um, I couldn't even tell you. I, I think I'd have to go back to maybe high school days. I mean, I haven't, like, an album? Uh, it's been a while. Okay. It's been a while, yeah. Um, I couldn't even tell you. Probably probably something Lil Wayne or, um, yeah, maybe Lil Ryan. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't ask me which, which one. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is, it's uh it's not even embarrassing. I'm going to stand on it. Uh, Pink Friday 2, Nicki Minaj. That's the last album, rap album I listened to. Well, album in general that I listened to all the way through because everybody's talking about like it was good. Yeah. And I'm like, is Nicki really back? And then she she brought it. So Pink Friday 2 is fire. I, I have not listened to it. Um, oh, you know what? I, I listened to a jazz um, record by Eddie Jefferson. Mm. That would have had to have been my last one. I'm a jazz fan too. Okay. So, um, but yeah, no, I have not listened to Nikki's. Uh, Nikki's yeah. I'm no gonna take, no. take your word for it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And then we're gonna talk about black men and uh, overall wellness and health in a little bit. But I want to know for because this is the new year. What do you feel? What's an unhealthy habit that you would like to change of yours for the new year? Man, I'm gonna be fully honest and transparent. Texting and driving. You know, I know that Michigan just changed the. Uh, the law, which I, I'm glad that they have. I'm so guilty of texting and driving. I already got a ticket for it. So Alle it was, allegedly. You know, yeah. 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 <laughs> allegedly. Yeah. No, I'm going to own it. I'm going to own that one. I'm going to own that. It's a lot I won't own, yeah. uh, but I'm going to own that one. And uh, it's a bad habit, so don't text and drive. I, I'm you know, guilty of it myself, but um, you know, we get better every day. So, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, congratulations for passing Freestyle Fridays once again. You uh, passed with Flying Colors, so appreciate you engaging in the, in the randomness so wanted to uh, i'll go right back into black men um black men's health symposium is is that the correct title of it yes um so it's actually the the title it's a working title right now but uh i think we're gonna call it um brother let's talk health mm -hmm. and uh, it's gonna take place on saturday april 13th at hartford memorial baptist church um mm -hmm. Uh, which is at 18700 James Cousins in Detroit, uh, the west side, Savon Lodge area. And uh, great partnership with Wayne State University. We're looking for another sponsor. I'm sure we will get that other sponsor. Mm. Um, and it's going to be a really just a fun day of sharing knowledge, experiences, um, doing the proper checkups that are needed, screenings, um, addressing some of the challenges that that we as black men face with sickle cell, mm -hmm. uh, some of the challenges we face with heart disease, some of the challenges we face with 
cancer, uh, everything from not having proper access to health care to having proper access to health care and not going to the doctor or having proper access to um, uh, health care and just letting time slip by. Uh, but so much of the challenges that we face in, in the black community really stems from just not having the resources. Mm. Um, you know, you think of, of good quality food. We historically have not had access to it mm. or it's been, you know, three, four or five dollars for an apple. And if you're going to spend that, you're looking at a McDonald's, you know, Happy Meal. I can get that for what, three ninety nine. I can get a right. whole meal. Right. Um, and it's quick. So. Uh, just trying to change how we view things. And also, it's going to be kind of a, a therapy session, man. I mean, um, myself, uh, Kevin Detner, who I have a ton of respect for, who's been in the field for so long addressing black men's health specifically. Uh, he's from Little Rock. He lives in D.C. now. And Dr. Harold Neighbors, um, Dr. Harold Woody Neighbors, he always likes to, likes <laughs> to throw the Woody in there, um, longtime professor at, at U of M, now currently lives in the Virginia area. Um, he'll be flying in as well. It's going to be kind of like a three-way TED Talk conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's going to be just a, uh, it's going to be an opportunity for black men to be vulnerable to talk about some of the, the challenges that we have, not only from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, because it all ties in. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to just uh, address the, the systematic challenges that we have as black men in, in the space. Dope, dope, and very much needed. And I wanted to ask you, from a personal standpoint, what made you want to uh, be a part of developing something like this? Because, I mean, you can be doing anything in the world, but what made you say, you know, I actually want to be a part of putting together this type of event symposium where black men can be able to learn more and take more accountability and um, more get more education about their health overall. Sure. Well, you know, I, I read something um, in uh, Authority Health. Now, let me preference by saying you can't believe everything you read in the papers, right? Mm -hmm. We know that. But Authority Health, very credible. Um, and I uh, love uh, Loretta Bush, who runs that organization, which is based right here in Detroit. Look them up, definitely. Um, but the, uh, the article was just saying that the average age of life expectancy for black men in America is 61 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, it broke my heart because that's not even retirement age. You know, If anything, now they're saying we got to work till we're 70. Well, if I got to work till I'm 70 and I'm supposed to be dead at 61, yeah. that doesn't add up. Yeah. Um, and my own personal journey, you know, I've lost 200 pounds over the course of, you know, five years and maintaining it is hard. Um, losing it was hard, but it really does come down to just having that in the back of my mind that, hey, look, I got to be around long enough to provide for my family um, and, and to really just to be quite frank, you know, enjoy my money. I mean, you know, I'm going to work for another, what, 30, 40 years, um, hopefully more so doing the fun things that I want to do than being tied down to uh, the nine to five political games. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, it's important that we have the opportunity to um, to live a full and fulfilling life um, when counterparts are living to be 85, 90. Um, and if we live to be 61 or even mid 60s, like that just doesn't add up. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the uh, important resources that you all are kind of like bringing in for um for this symposium for the, the fellows who will be in attendance. Yeah, so I really want to give a great shout out to uh, Wayne State. Um, I mean, they hopped on right away. They saw the need for it. Wayne State's been a great partner. I'll, I'll say this, they've been a great partner to, to the black community mm. um, in terms of uh, providing um, health access through their mobile clinic, uh, which is a, kind of an under, underutilized resource that I think we should all tap into more. Uh, when the pandemic happened, um, 
it was highlighted more than ever the systematic challenges that uh, black and brown communities have when it comes to being able to address health care, being able to go to physicians. So their new program ran by uh, Dr. Phil Levy really does um, get to kind of the, the root cause of some of the challenges we have, which is transportation, mm-hmm. you know, being able to get to the doctor. That's, right. I mean, that's a big one. Um, so I really do applaud Wayne State, and, and I think they put their money where their mouth was when they said, yes, we're all in, we want to do this. Um, and I will also say that um, having the ability to talk about some of those various challenges that specifically black men face, uh, whether it's dealing with you know the emotional stress of, of balancing family, mm-hmm. uh, employment, um, friendships, um, uh, you know other work relationships, trying to exercise, trying to eat properly, trying to get eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think that there's so much pressure you know put on on us because typically we're not just taking care of our immediate family, right? If we get married and have kids, but we're typically reaching back to the generation that was before us. So parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, and that's just kind of what we do. And, and that's a form of philanthropy too, but yeah. it's important that we uh, we prioritize ourselves. Absolutely. And I would be remiss without asking you, you had mentioned that your journey in terms of losing uh, 200 pounds and maintaining weight to where you are now, what made you want to take your health more seriously as a black man? Because, you know, typically that's taboo for us as far as, you know, I don't need to go to the doctor. I'll be okay. Or I'll have time to go to the doctor. I got to go work. So many different factors that come into play when it comes to black men and their health and overall wellness. So I want to know what made you want to uh, say, I, I got to make this change in my life and continue to make the effort, conscious effort to keep that change going and sustain it. Yeah. You know, for me, Denzel, it really just came down to uh, understanding that, hey, look, I, I want to be around. Um, you know, if I can live long enough, then I can fulfill all the dreams that I have uh, on this earth. And, and hopefully, you know, when I transition, God will uh, allow me to, to go beyond and, and continue to fulfill my dreams in, in heaven. Right. Um, but for me, I want to make sure that I'm being the best version of myself while I'm here. And I don't think I could do that having been at my highest 419 pounds, you know. Um, so it was important for me to lose the weight. I had always been a big kid. And uh, something that I didn't think I could do, and that motivated me even more to say, you know what, I know I can do it, and I'm going to step by step, little by little, I'm going to get there. And what was your kryptonite when you was going through that that process? Because uh, similar to you, I've tried to take more accountability for my overall health. So getting in the gym, changing my diet to a, a certain extent, but you know, it's, it's carbs and all that type of stuff that can be a, that can be a, a kryptonite and a hindrance on that process. So I'm wondering, like, what was what was your Listen, man, I still have I still have issues with carrot cake. <laughs> I still have issues with Reese's peanut butter cups. Uh, but that's okay because you know it's balance, right? Yeah. Um, I allow myself one meal a week. That's just like a cheat meal. It could be whatever. I mean, I I'll tell you what. I've had like a whole large pizza as a cheat meal before. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll just get like ranch. Do you eat ranch with your pizza? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I'll just get, I mean, you know, some people might say that's disgusting, but right. <laughs> I'll just get like a barbecue chicken pizza. I could dip, you know, dip it in ranch and mm-hmm. I'll just devour the whole thing, man. I mean, I, no shame, no shame when right. it comes to, to the cheat meal of the week. But um, just trying to be disciplined with, with what I eat. Also, timing of what I eat matters, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I want to give my body similar to taking a test. Now, I know we've all crammed in those uh, high school and undergrad and even grad, grad days, but... Um, 
I didn't do that well when I crammed, mm. you know, the night before. And I had to re retain information in less than seven hours. And the body is the same way. Like your, your, your body is not going to be able to fully process, okay, I had this today, but now I'm eating again in the next five, six hours. I haven't even fully processed what you already fed me. So you have to be able to fast so that your body can do its job and, and be able to process what you've already done. Gotcha. Giving us the, the gems and the keys in order to, uh, to, to lose that weight and, and keep it off. <laughs> it's tough, man. Maintaining it is definitely hard. No doubt about it. But, you know, I, I went out and I, I said, you know, I'm going to get some, uh, some custom suits because, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'5". Mm. And um, I said, I'm going to get some custom suits. So if anything happens to where I can't get in these custom suits anymore, <laughs> I know whose fault it is. And, you know, the amount of money you spend on those custom suits, I, I'm staying in them. So it's accountability. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I know that over the years you have worked in uh, public, different public sectors uh, and then also in the aspect of philanthropy, working with nonprofits like you do now or, you know, different organizations such as like Wayne State, things like that. But wanted to know uh, from the standpoint of over the summer, we got a chance to reconnect for the solar philanthropy um, exhibit that you had at the Detroit Historical Museum. And then that was a, a, a huge gathering of so many different philanthropic organizations in and around the city of Detroit. Uh, so many wonderful black faces who are behind those organizations or support those, being able to all come together and then be embraced by the history of giving back and what that means to Detroit, not only in past years, but currently right now. So I really want to know more about your journey in uh, being a part of that and developing that, because that took some time. I remember me and you had conversations about it, maybe like a year, year and a half before it even took place. So want to know what that journey was like for you and, and what that kind of meant to be able to bring that to the city of Detroit. Yeah, man. Um, you know, the Soul of Philanthropy was a, um, you know, call it a project, but really a mission uh, for me. You know, I worked on it for five years, like from 2018 up until when it came to Detroit, because I saw it originally in Atlanta. And I said, wow, that'd be fantastic if it came to Detroit. And then I saw it in Cleveland and I loved how Cleveland not only had the national Soul of Philanthropy exhibit, but they had kind of their own local content which is what we implemented and emulated here in Detroit. And then I saw it in Chicago. I was like, man, it has to come to Detroit. There's no reason why it's not here. So, um, you know, uh, Kia Washington, who I have a ton of respect for, uh, my colleague, my friend, my, my partner really in crime, um, you know, we got together and we were able to, to serve as co-chairs for the initiative. And, um, you know, two younger kind of professionals that not really as seasoned right in the philanthropic game and, um, so much of what we did was just kind of like reaching out to different foundations and, and different corporations and sponsors and saying, hey, this is our vision. This is what we want to do. We want to tell the stories of black philanthropists in Detroit. Um, and what I love so much about the exhibit was that you had six categories that we focused on from the local side. You had business, right, because the business community is, is philanthropic. You had education because, I mean, that was huge for us because we wanted to focus in on teachers. We wanted to focus in on administrators, you know, tell their stories. They're not doing it for money. They're doing it because they really want to give back to the community. Um, you know, we had clergy, which historically in our community is huge when it comes to philanthropy. That's how I learned from a dollar perspective how to give was through the church. Mm -hmm. um, um, whether it was going to Hope United, 
Hartford, Peoples, you know, Little Rock Baptist. I mean, wh whatever it was, like just going to church and being philanthropic in terms of tithing. Um, we did a special tribute to the Divine Nine because anybody that's Greek, oh six, um, you know, <laughs> knows that um, that you give through your fraternity, through your sorority, um, and the Divine Nine is a big part of Black philanthropy. Um, we did general community champions, right? Um, you know, and then we did service organizations, uh, and we had just a plethora of people that we featured. We had over ninety portraits, which was a lot. Looking back on it now, man, I don't even know how we got any sleep. Um, <laughs> and Kia and I did it, you know, completely pro bono. Like we didn't, we didn't get paid for it. This was mm -hmm. a labor of love. This was something that we wanted to to see happen, and um, it was just, it was the best experience. Um, and it was so well received that we're going to bring it back in 2025. Mm -hmm. uh, probably not 90 portraits this go around, but <laughs> um, but we might even incorporate some new um, categories. We're probably going to have less programs. I know we we went. Man, we, we went crazy with the program. We had maybe in, like yeah. 13 <laughs> programs. We're going to scale it down to four this go around. But um, it was it was a great time. And we had tremendous people featured for that. Mm. Yeah, it was phenomenal to be there firsthand to be able to experience uh, being in that room with so many dynamic people who have made impact in the city through their philanthropy for so many years, like literally for decades, as far as long as I've been alive. And then also it was an honor to be featured, a part of that exhibit. I was going to say, yeah, can you talk a little bit about the collab? Yeah. You were one of our service organizations. For sure, for sure. So uh, the collab, we've been around, uh, we've been around unofficially since 2015 and then uh, officially on paper uh, in 2018. And we're a nonprofit organization um, focused on community organizing and really just trying to leave our community in a better place uh, than we found it through the pillars of entrepreneurship, business, uh, financial literacy, and then also uh, creative skills. And then that's where we work with our students in our DOC uh, fellowship program, where they get an opportunity to learn those things from us, professionals who have these skills and been working in these industries for years, and then also giving them hands-on experience to be able to provide them with information that's going to not last them once they get into college or immediately after high school, but to help them become those adults in the future who are going to Take that information, make something of them of their lives, hopefully change the dynamics of um, their family for the better and just improve whatever that situation is. And then also being able to bring that back uh, is the overall hope in that they in turn invest in young people the, the way that we did. And they find somebody to mentor and then really just kind of create that positive uh, feedback loop. So, yeah, that, we've been doing that, operating in that for uh, a while now. And so it was great to be able to be featured uh, a part of that. And like I said, with so many heavy hitters who were uh, a part of that um, exhibit as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we were glad to have the collab uh, part of the solo philanthropy. And and what I loved was that we we bridged organizations like the collab, and then you had organizations like um, uh, Black Family Development. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you were able to bring together different uh, different walks of of life. Right. Um, we had newer administrators, maybe those that were from. Uh, Pontiac Public Schools. Then mm -hmm. we had 
uh, maybe administrators that had been in the game, you know, for a little bit longer period of time. We had teachers that maybe people never even heard of, you mm -hmm. know, and and, and um, they hadn't heard of them because, you know, in, in the black community, and this is something that's important when you're thinking about philanthropy, is that we're so humble as a people mm -hmm. that what we do, we don't even consider it to be philanthropy, right? We just consider, oh, that's just something that I, I do. I mean, um, the neighborhood grandma that takes care of somebody's right. somebody's kid, you know, that's cooking a meal. That's philanthropy. For sure. Um, you know, just kind of reaching out to anybody that, that needs a helping hand, that's philanthropy. And we really wanted to change how people viewed philanthropy. It's not just a matter of writing a check. Mm. We do that very well, too. Right. <laughs> um, uh, according to W.K. Kellogg, black Americans are the most philanthropic mm -hmm. from a monetary perspective than any other race in the country. Little known fact. Um, but it's so much more to it than, than just that. And we really wanted to highlight that. And I think we accomplished it. And thinking about the whole essence of philanthropy and giving back, is there any organization or person, people that you feel like were huge in terms of just your overall journey and you becoming the Colin that you are today and the things that you've been able to accomplish and do? Are there any organizations or people that stand out in your mind that have their their philanthropic endeavors helped you in turn? Yeah, um, you know, there there are a few people that, that come to mind and it's probably many others that, um, you know, I don't want to um, forget anybody. For sure. And, and, um, but I, I say that people that really come to mind, you know, first and foremost, my, my family uh, have always been very philanthropic. You know, uh, the Mays Family Institute is housed at the Lilly School of Philanthropy at IUPUI uh, in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And it's the first institute in the world that focuses specifically on black philanthropy. So if someone is studying philanthropy, uh, which you can at the Lilly School, you can get a certificate from the Mays Family School of Philanthropy, which is pretty cool, right? Nice. Um, and, um, you know, also my uh, my mom's godfather, uh, who was a longtime physician, uh, still with us, uh, 100 years old. Uh, his name is William Anderson. He'll actually be a featured um, speaker at the Detroit Historical a museum on MLK Day this year. Nice. Um, and he marched with MLK, and and he really taught me a lot about um, giving back through action, through service. Um, and uh, he's actually the reason too why I, I wanted to become an alpha because he's an alpha, mm -hmm. um, and I really admired him um, throughout my entire life. Um, there's been so many others, like just organizations. You know, again, like you know, Black Family Development has been such a pillar in the community. Um, another person that I really admire in the philanthropic space is Tracy Webb. You know, I started following her blog called um, Black Gives Back, and that really kind of motivated me to expand a little bit more in the term of philanthropy. Um, uh, Lynetta Gilbert, who's down in New Orleans, which is where the soul of philanthropy is to this, to this day. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, a, a businessman in, in Detroit who's no longer with us but was very philanthropic was Howard Sims. And I think about the work that he did with uh, the Charles H. Wright Museum and some of the other uh, pieces just around the city of Detroit that, that he, you know, really sculpted and, and created. Um, he's, he's a philanthropist that uh, I think a lot of people, um, I don't want to say forget about, but don't realize like the mark that he really left in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Very dope. Very dope. And I know that um, I've had people that invested in me along the way, and it was very uh, serendipitous as far as the solo philanthropy um, 
exhibit because I got a chance to be a part of that with one of my mentors, Renee Fluker from Midnight Golf Program. And then She's also, a great yeah, yeah uh, Renee Fluker, and then people that I've got a chance to see um, and admire over the years, such as Gail Perry Mason as well. So, She's who's also, yeah, yeah. Been, been on Black Fridays also. And so, yeah, it just was super dope to um, be able to have those influences people that help, you know, shape me in some type of way, be in that room and be a part of that as well. So yeah, my, my people was there. So I, I know I asked you the question, but yeah, my some of my my folks was a part of that exhibit. So yeah. definitely a very serendipitous moment. And there's so many others, like I said, you know, I didn't want to forget anybody, you know, Cheryl Johnson with Cots and um, as you mentioned, you know, um, uh, Gail Perry Mason mm -hmm. and Renee Fluker, who I have a ton of respect for, Donna Gibbons Davison, who's done a great job with Eastside Community Network. You know, one that really meant a lot to us was um, being able to feature uh, Marlo mm -hmm. uh, uh, Stoudemire yes, yes. and uh, the great contributions that he made. Being able to feature him in, uh, in Valencia mm -hmm. was certainly um, amazing and a great uh Great opportunity to showcase uh, all the, the positive things that he's contributed to Detroit. Absolutely. And for those who say, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough resources, um, in terms of being more philanthropic or giving back in whatever way, shape or form, how would you encourage them to start giving back? Or what would you say to them that, would, that might nudge them in the right direction to let them know they have something to offer? Um, you know, I would say just... Um, it, it just takes action, you know, um, whether if it's you're giving a dollar to an organization that you believe in, whether if it's you're giving your time to um, to help educate um, uh, different people, uh, whether if it's you're, you're giving your service to, um, I don't know, maybe a black club, right? And that was one area that we didn't touch yet, but I think we will in 2025 is kind of the black clubs in Detroit. Those We got to bring the black party gyms. back, man. man. Don't nobody do those no know. more. <laughs> We got to bring the block club we, back. We got we to gotta bring the, the block parties, the block clubs, because that's the essence of the community, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think being able to have that and being able to, to touch upon that. Um, and I, I really encourage people that are thinking of careers to go into. And, and you know, I've worked with some high school students. And they're like, I don't know what I want to do when I graduate from high school. I'm like, well, that's your perfect uh, reason to go into education. Um, and I look at organizations like Black Male Educators Alliance that are doing fantastic work. You know, the population of this country uh, with black educators and brown educators under 2%. Mm -hmm. So it's important that um, people go on journeys that can really give back. Um, and it's not all about the money, man. You know? I mean, I've, I've been victim of that too, right? It's not yeah. all about the money. It's about uh, giving back and making a difference. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I, ever since um, I had the opportunity to go through the Midnight Golf Program and then uh, come out on the other end of it, always thought that no matter where you are in life, regardless, even back then, me being a young person, just leaving high school, starting college, knowing that there is, you always have something to give, like whether I used to volunteer a lot or um, if you can mentor somebody that's younger than you, it doesn't always have to be monetary. And you do have something to give. You do have something to offer. So anybody listening, I encourage you to any organizations that you may have interest in or want to be a part of, uh, definitely go out and try to infiltrate those or your community by volunteering, um, providing resources, whatever it is that you feel that you can do, because it, it does go the, a, a long way and you don't know who can benefit from the other end of it. And, um, you know, in a perfect world, I, I have a conversation back and forth with a friend about this in a perfect world, philanthropy and these different type of organizations wouldn't exist because 
we wouldn't need it if you know everything worked accordingly but you know that makes a little bit too much sense and we got to be complicated as a society and a, a world a country all those good things but because these people are out there fighting a the good fight and on the front lines putting their best foot forward we it's best that we do support them and the people that they're trying to trying to help um within reason of course like you know don't don't uh lose your shirt trying to <laughs> trying to give every everything uh if you don't have to if that's you then hey more more power to you but you know Absolutely. Absolutely. No. And, and I just want to echo that, Denzel. Please go out, support um, great organizations like the Collab, uh, you know, other great organizations out there and, and just make a difference. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's all about action and, and about service. Absolutely. So, Colin, people listening to this, if they want to sponsor the symposium that, that you have coming up, if they want to work with you for your consulting services or if they just want to get in touch with you, pick your brain about some of the things we talked about today. What's the where can they find you? What's all your links, your handles, all that good stuff? Man, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, maybe too much can definitely get you. In <laughs> um, if the wrong person is looking. But um, definitely LinkedIn, Colin, C-O-L-L-I-N, Mays, M-A-Y-S. Um, you know, I'm, I'm having fun, man. I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm having a lot of fun. Um, you know, my entire career has been public service. I will more than likely jump back to it. I just love it, man. I just love giving back to communities. And um, I view my work really as an artist. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm drawing a picture through my work with economic development or um, community development, workforce development to really enhance communities. So um, I'll definitely be getting back into local government. Um, but it's it's good for me to kind of take a break and focus on the nonprofit side, which is something I'm good at, too. So, um, but yeah, just connect with me I'm on LinkedIn. The symposium is going to be fantastic. I have no doubt about it. Um, you know, like I said, Wayne State's been a great sponsor. We're looking for another sponsor to help out with the other half of it. But I'm confident we'll get there. And uh, we're just going to keep promoting good content, man. That's what it's about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I never heard anyone from the uh, public sector space talk about their work as uh, an artist. So I love that. I love that comparison um, because being able to the work that you do, you can see it as a, a canvas and then being able to, you know, continue to improve and, and develop that each and every day. I, I, I see what you're saying. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, so, absolutely. yeah, I, I like that. So I, I take it like, for example, you know, if I worked for the city of Detroit, the city of Detroit, the entire city would be my canvas and mm-hmm. the work that I put in to address whatever uh, process or procedure that needs to be changed. You know, that that's my me being an artist and me trying to recraft what uh, what the city is. Dope. Dope. Love it. So, Colin, I appreciate you for uh, joining me on here, my brother. You always appreciate welcome you, on Black man. Friday. I appreciate so. you. I'll be yeah. back. Yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. I'll be back. Absolutely. You always welcome on, on Black Fridays, man. And uh, always great to, to catch up with you and talk about the, the great work that you're doing. And if y'all haven't noticed, when I get a chance to talk to Colin, I get the inside scoop on stuff that's happening in the future. Uh, so <laughs> it's always good to be able to connect with you and then also get that get that future insight as well. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, man. Absolutely. And everybody watching, tap in with y'all soon. Peace.